Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort, and thanks for being with us today on another episode of Comfort's Corner, where we bring you the inside story and what's happening in and around the transit industry. Our traditional Transit Unplugged podcast every other week um, interviews CEOs of transit systems, but the new Comfort's Corner version gives you insightful interviews with folks who maybe aren't a CEO, but still are making news in our industry. And today is no exception. Today is part two of a two-part series where we've interviewed the winners or honorees from the 2020 Mass Transit Magazine's Top 40 Under 40 program. It's a great program. It basically recognizes people who are under age 40 who have made a great impact on public transportation. So I have interviewed six of them uh, for the podcast. Uh, last week, we brought to you an interview with Misha Wanek-Lidman, who is the editor of Mass Transit Magazine. She kind of explained the program. We had Marco D'Angelo on. Marco is a CEO of the Canadian Urban Transit Association, and Ivan Rodriguez, who's Director of Government and Industry Affairs and a Policy Advisor to the CEO, Nat Ford, at Jacksonville Transit Authority in Florida. They gave great interviews, insightful about their personal stories, how they've made a difference, and what they hope to do in the future. You'll find the same is true today. We're interviewing Alice Grossman, who really made her mark at the Eno Center for Public Transportation in Washington, D.C., uh, the nation's leading think tank. Uh, Rob Fuentes is the head of that group and a great good friend of mine. And she's leaving now and going on to another great job that she'll tell us about. But uh, we talk about some of the studies she's done and where public transportation is going. Next, Jerome Horn, who um, works at Indigo, um, the Indianapolis Transit System, um, who I actually got to meet when I was CEO of MTA. He came and visited us there, and he has the International Micro Museum of Transit Signs uh, or something like that, and it's pretty cool. I've, I've seen pictures of it. He's got, you know, hundreds and hundreds of paraphernalia and signs from transit systems around the country. He'll tell us about that and more. And then Tyler Means, a friend of mine I met while he was working at Kansas City Area Transit Authority for Robbie Mackinnon, helped really move their system into the future and helped create and be part of the team that created uh, the Ride Casey Freedom Program. All of those interviews on today's episode of Comfort's Corner. Welcome to a special edition of Transit Unplugged, Comfort's Corner, where we're taking a look at some of the winners of this year's 2020 Top 40 Under 40 Honors by Mass Transit Magazine. And uh, today I'm excited to have with us Alice Grossman, who is a PhD and has been recently just I don't want to say retired because you weren't there long enough, but just recently left Eno Center for Public Transportation is on to a potential new gig. Thanks so much for being with us today. Congratulations on the honors. Thank you. It's really great to be here. Yeah, Alice. So, um, so first off, I guess just tell us a little about yourself and, and what you've been doing, you know, for Eno and, and uh, anything you want to tell us about the award itself for being honored as one of the top 40 people under age 40 uh, in public transportation. Sure. Well, I, uh, yeah, I was at Eno for, for a few years. Um, I actually started in transportation at Georgia Tech where I did my PhD. Um, and I was, I was in engineering, but I ended up doing a very um, interdisciplinary dissertation that was public policy based and a little bit of planning based. Um, and so that really led perfectly into a career at a think tank like Eno, which does transportation policy. Um, you know, all, all different modes, uh, different levels of government. Um, and so that was a, a really wonderful place to land and to be for a few years. Um, and I worked on, on a whole bunch of projects, including some very public transportation focused projects, uh, some other surface transportation projects, um, other modes as well. So yeah, a lot there. That's great. Yeah. And, and you, you recently kind of wrapped it up because you're going to do what next? 
I'm moving on to a fellowship um, with the American Association for the Advancement of Science. They have a fellowship called the Science and Technology Policy Fellowship, um, which the whole purpose is to bring people in STEM fields into policy and get that conversation going between people who have PhDs in the hard sciences, math and engineering, um, and to put them into the executive, legislative and judicial branch and make sure that we have sort of that interchange of uh, expertise in, in the STEM fields right there in the policy making that's going on. So. That sounds exciting. Yeah, it's, it's perfect for me. Um, I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. There's a lot of smart people and, and it'll be a good opportunity. So tell us about one of the big projects you worked on. Actually, I think there's a paper coming out soon on it and about autonomous vehicles. Can you give us a little bit about that and what your findings were, what you were looking for? Sure, yeah, so that we, um, we wrapped up in 2019. Um, and so we have a paper out called Beyond Speculation 2.0. And we were looking at policy for automated vehicles. Um, and this, this was building off of work at Eno actually before I got there also. We had a paper out on federal policies. We had a paper out on state policies. Um, but the thing about automated vehicle policy is it's been changing so rapidly over the yeah. last couple of years. Um, so we saw the need to, to update it. And um, you know there was legislation moving through Congress at the time. Um, there was the Self-Drive Act and then the, the AV Start Act, um, which nothing ended up coming of them, but there was a lot of talk and a lot of work on them. Um, and there's also, you know, for the last couple of years, been a lot of talk about moving forward with another surface transportation authorization. So this was really at the forefront of, of policy. Um, and with automation, the technology changes quickly, the policy changes quickly. Um, so that was a lot of fun, fun to work on. And we ended up pulling together the state uh, federal and then also local perspectives and, and needs into one paper. So it was looking at policy up and down the spectrum um, from the local level all the way up to the federal level. So that, it was a fun, fun project to work on. That's great. One of the reasons I think you got nominated was because of your work in mentorship. And on, on our program on Comfort's Corner, we've got a guy uh, named Mike Bismar who does uh, Mike's Minute uh, every time and talks about kindness and mentoring and how important it is to kind of pass it on. Do you want to talk to us about kind of your role and experiences there? Sure. I, I think that I, one of the things that I, I learned in, in graduate school was how much I enjoyed working with other students. Um, I taught for a number of years. I, I far exceeded my necessary teaching requirements as a graduate student. Um, I actually, I also got a certification, an NSF um, tech to teaching certification. So I, I did a whole bunch of classes about teaching and learning. Um, and I realized I really enjoy working, working with students. And, you know, I'm a young person, um, but lots of other young people have also lots, lots of great contributions. Um, and, and I learned most in the classroom where, you know, you come in and you have, let's say you're lecturing about automated vehicles that day. Um, but it's really not a lecture. It's really a conversation with a whole bunch of other smart people who are learning and coming from different backgrounds. Uh, and so I loved that. And, and I really missed when I left graduate school, I really missed working with students. Um, so I've made a concerted effort to make sure that, you know, when we had interns coming through, Eno, I would make and maintain those connections. And my former students um, at Georgia Tech were moving on either to graduate school or to their first job um, and keeping in contact with them and sort of seeing, you know, what are, what are you doing? How, how is it? Um, what are you learning? What can I do to help? You know, who can I introduce you to? Um, 
and and you always end up it's a great energy that that we get from each other as young people in the field um and we can always continue learning from each other and and that's really fun that's great i guess my last question is a little more esoteric but i would wonder uh can you tell us what it is you hope to accomplish with your career uh you know as you look at the, what the future holds for you um if you could kind of write uh, a prophecy or look back on what you did do. What is it you want to accomplish uh, with your career? I got into transportation because I want to demonstrably make people's lives better and, and make the world a better place. Um, so if I can see that positive impact from, from the work I'm doing, then I'm feeling successful. Um, and I feel like moving, moving forward with my AAAS fellowship, it's, it's the same thing. You know, you're, we're going to, I'm going to be in uh, an agency. I'm going to be working with NOAA. Um, and there's research coming out of there and there's policy, uh, implications and being able to just see that the work that we're doing is, is making a difference and making people's lives better is, is what I hope to accomplish. Very good. Well, I wish you all the success in the world and, and doing that for us. And again, congratulations on this high honor. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hi, I'm Alea Carey, a communications consultant who loves working with public transit agencies. Everyone in communications has to email the media to pitch stories from time to time. Sometimes these are people you'd know and have worked with before, and then it's pretty easy. But that's not always the case. You might be new in your position, or they're new in theirs, or you could be pitching in a pandemic. Reporters are flooded right now, and newsrooms are really short-staffed. That means more and more email pitches aren't even getting opened anymore. One really important element of getting a reporter to open your pitch and read it is a fantastic subject line. Here are a couple of ideas. First, if you can genuinely offer an exclusive to one publication and one reporter, definitely do that and make sure your subject line says that this is an exclusive offer. Another idea is what new data does your story reveal? If you've got a data point like an increase in ridership or a dollar amount, use that in your subject line. And another way to think about ensuring your email pitch gets opened is to write a really short pitch and then make sure you say in the subject line that the pitch is really short. Sometimes I write the words three-line pitch or shortest pitch you'll read today in the subject line. I love brainstorming on effective subject lines and all things related to communications and transit. If you want to get in touch, look me up on LinkedIn. My first name is spelled E-L-E-A. Last name, C-A-R-E-Y. This is another interview in our Transit Unplugged Top 40 Under 40 episode series. And today I'm excited to talk to my good friend, Jerome Horn. Jerome is Ridership Experience Specialist at the Indianapolis Public Transportation Corporation, known as Indigo. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me on the show, Paul. Really excited. Yeah, so congratulations first off to you on, on getting this great honor. Tell me what it means to you. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, it is it's definitely an, an honor uh, and a privilege to uh, be featured in, in Mass Transit Magazine 40 Under 40. Uh, really, it just what it means to me is uh, just uh, 
recognition of passion and and also I think it, it also means responsibility you know it's uh, it both I, I take it's both with honor and, and 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 recognition but now it's like here's the charge you know need to li live up to the hype so to speak and make sure that I'm delivering for the industry and the people that we serve that's great well I think you already definitely are um, you and I met several years ago actually uh, it was it was great when I was at MTA in Baltimore and you're from Baltimore right Yep, originally from Baltimore, born and raised, yeah. Yeah, and so when did you leave? Tell me a little about your, you know, your background and career and how you ended up at Indigo. Yeah, so uh, I was born in Baltimore, grew up there until I was 12. Uh, you know, had spent a lot of time in childhood riding uh, MTA, bus, subway, light rail. Uh, and then my family moved down to Atlanta uh, in the year 2000, finished growing up there. Uh, and I took an interesting path. Uh, I've always been interested in cities and transit since I was a little kid. Uh, I think I told you the story once. I, I sent my first email at age 10 to Ronald Freeland, who was the administrator yep. of MTA back in 98. <laughs> uh, that kind of lit a spark, and it's always been a fascination since there, but ended up going to school for music, actually. Thought I wanted to be a band director. Went to Valdosta State University in South Georgia. Uh, you know, realized after a while, didn't want to teach. Uh, ended up moving uh, back to Atlanta and then uh, moved to Indianapolis in 2014 uh, to take a job uh, in music and realized that just wasn't really what I wanted to do. And so as you know, I always had this, this kind of itch for transit and after just make, making some friends that worked in the transit industry and, and talking to a few people, we decided that, uh, you know, could focus on my transferable skills and try to get a foot in the door in the industry. And I was always great at communicating and networking with folks. So I began to look for jobs, space and community gauge engagement and uh, kind of the rest is history. End up applying a few places. Eventually Indigo had an opening and uh, started in Indigo in 2016 as a community engagement coordinator and have been there for four and a half years. And it's been uh, one of the greatest uh, journeys in my life so far. That's awesome. And you've been there about five years now? Yeah, almost five years now. Yeah, yeah. And, and what was it that brought you out to Baltimore MTA when you were in that role? You, I think you told me you came out when, I don't I can't believe you remember it. When was it? <laughs> yeah, it was uh, March 2017. And, uh, you know, really, I, I was visiting Baltimore to visit friends and family, but I decided that uh, I thought it'd be interesting just to visit other, another transit agency, uh, especially one that was going to be going through a bus redesign. Uh, Indigo uh, was planning on going through a bus redesign and just really wanted to hear from people that were further along in the process and try to understand some of the, the planning aspects and maybe some of the, you know, get advice as we were kind of going through our journey in, in that process ourselves. That's great. Well, it was great meeting you back then. And uh, you showed the same passion then as you do now for transit. And I think one of your other passion projects, uh, although folks listening to the podcast can't see it, but we're on camera on Zoom and uh, you're sitting at the entrance of the International Micro Museum of Transit. Tell us about that. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. The, the International Micro Museum of Transit is the, uh, the fun, affectionate name that I give my, my personal collection of transit memorabilia. So I have approximately uh, 120 some actual transit signs, mostly bus stop signs, and about 150 or more uh, transit models of buses and trains. And this is really something that I've uh, really seriously started collecting in the last uh, few years since I've been in the transit industry. And uh, you know now it's kind of become to have its own its its own sort of fan uh, fan. So it has its own sort of Facebook page and social media accounts, and you know people well, people, people follow it. I'm going to have to follow that. What, what's the uh, what's the address or whatever so people can follow you? 
Yeah, if you just uh, search for International Micro Museum of Transit on uh, Facebook, you'll find it there and also on Instagram. Okay, that's awesome. Uh, well, Inez Evans ought to give, I'm going to tell her she ought to give you a, a room in the headquarters there where you can actually <laughs> display this and people can come visit. I mean, I love this stuff. I always am fascinated. Prior to COVID, when I did these interviews, I was, you know, 99% of the time I actually visited the CEOs or the executives in their offices. And I'm always fascinated to look at their toy collection of buses <laughs> and trains and all the, you know, gadgets and, and things. Um, just amazing. I was talking the other day with um, uh, Neil Scales, who is the head of transit in Queensland, Australia. And he was telling me a story that when he was in um, London, he used to work at Transport for London. One of the jobs he had, he actually bought a U2 boat you know, a U-2 submarine. And I'm, I'm reading this book on the sinking of the Lusitania now where they sunk it with a U-2 boat in a uh, uh, submarine in World War One, And he turned it into a museum and uh, people could visit it. So I'm always fascinated with that stuff. I hope one day to actually be able to, when I come back out, I love Indianapolis, you know, it's, I've been there several times and it's a great, well-designed city, in my opinion, with a great downtown area, uh, real easy to understand. Even if you're not from the area, you don't even really need to use GPS. You can figure things out pretty easily. So, um, and I guess that leads to the next question, which is, tell us about some of the big projects you've been working on there, like BRT and other kind of transit projects in the city of Indianapolis. Yeah, so uh, Indigo and Indianapolis, we have been pretty busy the last several years. Uh, in 2016, uh, November of 2016, we passed a, a transit referendum. Uh, nearly 60% of voters in Indianapolis approved a, a 0.25 uh, percent income tax, which was the first time we had a, a dedicated source of funding that was solely for mass transit. And so through that, uh, there are a number of initiatives and projects. Uh, we're working on a comprehensive transit plan known as the Marion County Transit Plan that includes uh, three BRT lines and a, a total bus system redesign and upgrades to the fleet and a few other bus stop improvement projects. Uh, so one of the biggest projects, uh, the Red Line BRT, was our one of uh, our first project. Uh, Red Line opened on September 1st of, of last year. So we're actually just celebrating the, the one year anniversary, yeah. and uh, you know that was a you know a, a big major project for the city. The Red Line is our central spine of the system, if you will. Uh, really kind of connects some of the key areas in the city with entertainment districts, downtowns, a few major universities, and our largest medical complex in the state. And it is among the nation's first completely battery electric uh, BRT lines, 60% uh, in center running dedicated lanes uh, and using um, 60 foot articulated buses. So, uh, you know, we definitely have had uh, some challenges in the first year, but it's all been a great learning process. And we're excited because we're actually moving forward with our second BRT line, the purple line, which would be um, a 14 mile or excuse me a 15 mile line that are run kind of east west northeast of Indianapolis to the city of Lawrence so we just got federal uh, funding uh, for that line and uh, you know we're going to be moving forward to bring more exciting mobility changes to the city of Indianapolis. That's great. Two other things that you've been involved in I wanted to highlight was you've been selected to be in the APTA Emerging Leaders Program class of 2022 and you also founded the Indianapolis chapter of Young Professionals in Transportation. Tell us about that. Yeah, APTA Emerging Leaders uh, is among some of the top programs for individuals in the transit industry in terms of, of leadership and professional development. 
And so uh, really excited to be in the class of 2022. Uh, we unfortunately, uh, though, had to postpone uh, due to COVID. So uh, we were going to start this, this June, and now we're starting in June of, of 21. Uh, but still, it's an honor to, to be in that program, and I'm really excited for what we're going to learn. It's really kind of like a year-long program where you get paired with a mentor and you work on uh, various group projects um, and really try to help just craft and hone certain skills and identify, you know, kind of career, career development. Um, Young Professionals in Transportation. So it is an organization uh, that has about 27 different chapters. Uh, and uh, I'm actually on the board for, why, uh, for Young Professionals in Transportation International that oversees all the chapters. And then I founded the Indianapolis chapter back in 2018. And so we are uh, an organization that is primarily geared towards uh, uh, young professionals in the organization or those that are young at heart. We really welcome anyone. And we're really focused on networking, fellowship, and career development. So we offer a number of you know, different events uh, back Pre-COVID, we do a lot of technical tours, maybe touring transit agencies, going to airports, uh, bringing guest speakers, whether it's a commissioner of a DOT, a transit agency CEO, um, but really trying to provide experiences specifically geared to young people in the transportation industry uh, to help them develop in their careers and think about various uh, you know, paths that their, rear, their career could take. Yeah, it's a great organization. When I was in Baltimore at MTA, I was a speaker at the Baltimore chapter, and since then I've been to other chapters, including the one in Toronto, and actually as part of the book tour that I'd lined up for uh, my book, The Future of Public Transportation, a number of YP uh, YPT chapters were going to host uh, book signings and, you know, kind of book discussions, and then it all got canceled because of COVID, but I'm, I'm hoping that once we can get back on the road, I'd love to take a tour of them as well. Again, great, great organization. The last thing I want to talk to you about is... Uh, Kind of your philosophy, as I mentioned to you in the green room before we got started, uh, you and I are aligned in our philosophy that the focus of transit should not be on the peripherals. The focus of transit should be on the core essential, which is? The people. It, the people. It's all that's about right. the people. Yeah, that's what you call, uh, a, a I'm, I'm tossing it up to you so you can do the slam down dunk in the, in, the, uh, in the basket. Tell us about that and your philosophy about folks who are in transit, keeping focus on the passengers, not trying to sell them what they're not buying, and making sure that we know what they're buying because we're on, our butt is on the seat in the bus or on the train. Yeah, you know, I think it's, you know, we in the industry tend to get caught up in our, our next big project and this new rail line and this big BRT and Wi-Fi on the bus and, you know, all these things that are, those are great, nice to haves. And certainly we, we need to, you know, deliver great service. Uh, but at, at the end of the day, you know, we have to focus on the passengers that are actually riding on the system and really the essentials. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, another a mentor of mine says something like positive progress for people, the three P's. And, uh, you know, having that kind of ridership focused uh, philosophy is really important. I think for uh, myself and my position uh, in ridership experience and for anyone in transit, it's really important to be familiar with the product, um, you know, ride the service. Uh, now, I, you know, might be at the extreme end where at least pre-COVID, I was riding every day, you know, to and from work. I was riding to go, you know, hang out with friends after work. I'd go shopping on the weekends and ride the bus. And so I was very intimately familiar with our system. And, you know, we, we would go to public meetings or neighborhood associations and I'd have people come up and say, hey, you know, 
you know, do, what do you really understand about the system? And I'd be able to say, well, you know, I ride too, and I've been passed a few times by a bus driver, and I've been waiting out in the rain, and I've been on a bus that's broken down, and I've missed my transfer. So all of those things kind of humanize agency staff with the general public and our riders, and, you know, we can relate to them, and that helps us identify, you know, okay, yeah, this isn't doing so well, or maybe, you know, we need to do a better job of our, with our rider alerts for detours and service disruptions. Um, and I, I just think it's really important that uh, that staff on all levels get at least some type of regular exposure to being on the system and, and understanding it because that really just gives you a much greater perspective and will help you be more effective in your job. It's awesome. And it kind of goes back to, I think, uh, your core philosophy, which you talked about in your interview for the top 40 to 40, which is... Um, the reason you're in transit is the same reason I think that a lot of us got into transit is we really want to help people. Uh, you know, I think you know this, my dad was a minister and uh, I always had it in my heart that I wanted to help people. I just, I almost feel like transit is my ministry, you know, where I'm, I'm really <laughs> helping people to connect to jobs, connect to all of life's opportunities. And I, I think you feel the same way. Is that true? Yeah. Uh, I, I've always said that, you know, transportation, transit, mobility, it's all about access to opportunity. Uh, where people can get to is who they can meet, what jobs they can have, and what they can achieve. And so, uh, you know, it, it is absolutely essential that we have, you know, provide a great level of service and, and you know, really think about focusing on the core of, of, of the rider and, 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 you know, allowing them to get to where they need to be. That's awesome. Well, Jerome Horn, a ridership experience specialist at Indigo. It's been an honor and a pleasure to talk to you again today. I can't wait to continue to see your career progress. We're going to see you as head of some big transit agency uh, in the future, and I can't wait to come visit you and, and, uh, and see you when, you're, when you have your own museum right there in your own facility. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for having me on the show, Paul. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Jerome. This is Mike Bismeyer, Regional Sales Director for Proterra, and this is Mike's Minute, where we talk about random acts of kindness, mentorship, and leadership with the hopes that will inspire you to pay it forward. You've heard me many times before say that leadership and mentorship are the act of providing qualities or emulating qualities that you see around you daily. As Paul and his team continue to interview the most recent list of the top 40 under 40, there's no doubt that these leaders are truly emerging because of those around them that have helped them aspire, that have helped them feel comfortable bringing their ideas to the forefront and made them not afraid to be change makers. It's inspiring, but it's also crucial that everyone continues to play their part. Every day you have an opportunity to share something with someone around you and you have no idea the benefit it can add. I will say this, the COVID pandemic has taught me one thing. There are great people in transit and there are even greater people that want to continue to change the face of transit in the future. Recently, I had a great opportunity to catch up with the SMART team out in Wilsonville, Oregon, and their great leader, Dwight Brashear. I was simply reaching out to see how they were faring and to say thanks on behalf of Transit, as I know their agency was helping with evacuations and helping people that were desperate get to where they needed to go. Dwight's comments summed it up. He said, Mike, it means the world that you've reached out to see how we're doing, but we don't ever do this for the accolades. We do things in Transit because they need to be done. A great comment from a great leader, and someone that I'm fortunate enough to be able to listen to or to call once in a while for another tidbit. Thanks for listening, keep kind, and have a great week. Welcome back. And I'm 
excited to be with a good friend of mine, actually, Tyler Means, who was honored this year as one of the top 40. Tyler, thanks so much for being with us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Paul. Yeah. Where are you calling in from today? I'm here in Kansas City. Kansas City, right. That's actually where I met you many years ago. As you know, we, uh, through the great Robbie Mackinnon. Absolutely. Yeah. My, my <laughs> former boss. Good man. Yeah, that's right. So Tyler, again, congratulations, man, on being selected. This is a real honor and you know, it's a, it's a great recognition for the work you've already done. And, but I think it's also, uh, you know, it designates folks who we expect to see a lot from in the future as well. I appreciate that. And yeah, you know, I, I'm kind of excited that it, it does, I think, kind of open a few doors. I've gotten a lot of interesting messages and a few opportunities in terms of speaking and such. So yeah, it's, it's a real honor. It's a real honor. That's great. Yeah. You told me you were just, what'd you do uh, this week? You spoke on what panel was it? It's the Move America. It was the Smart Cities panel they had. Yeah, that's great, man. Well, I remember having breakfast with you in Kansas City maybe three years ago or whatever at some restaurant there. It was a good time. Yeah, yeah. You know, actually, I met you at some scene in Chicago. That's, oh, that's where great. I met you. Yeah, we had we breakfast in there. Chicago. Yeah. And then you came to Kansas City to do some stuff with uh, KCATA, and I took you out to barbecue in a, in a nice little jazz joint. Oh, that's what it was. That was awesome, actually. You yeah. Know, there's always this discussion. Uh, Robbie Mackinan and you guys, you know, say that Case, Kansas City barbecue is the best. And then my buddy down in Memphis, uh, who's the CEO down there, Gary Rosenfeld, thought, oh, no, Memphis wins every year. But I got to tell you, both of them are phenomenal. Uh, great barbecue. Yeah, yeah. We, you know, we do a lot of work with Memphis. And I got to tell you, um, they do have good barbecue, but he shouldn't lie to you like that. Kansas City still <laughs> is the best. Well, let's talk about uh, you and your life and, and, you know, kind of your passion for what you're doing. Uh, it, it really kind of, in my mind, uh, was very interesting when I read some about your background, which is not anything you and I talked about kind of what got you motivated to really help, you know, uh, paratransit people with disabilities and, and making sure that, you know, all the systems are in place to run a, a tremendous system for folks. Tell us sure. about the story that kind of, that, that galvanized all that for you. Yeah, sure. You know, so, I, you know, I came uh, into the working world, if you will, at the, at the kind of the downturn of the last economic downturn in 2008. I graduated my master's in 2009. Heck, nobody was hiring. I ended up applying to something like 400 some odd jobs and ended up landing a job up here in Kansas City to work for the Metropolitan Planning Organization. And, you know, within two months of working there, and I knew I was in transportation, but I didn't know what I was going to do, right? But within yeah. two months of working there, my uh, grandmother, um, who lived in Hutchinson, Kansas, she was uh, 85 at the time. She, had, she was blind in one eye from glaucoma, and she didn't have any other transportation option to get around, and she was trying to drive to the grocery store. Uh, and she pulled out from a stop sign, couldn't see right, and got T-boned. Uh, ended up passing away in that car wreck. Life alerted to Wichita, uh, didn't survive the car wreck. And that, that incident um, kind of cemented in my mind just how much a car wreck or an incident of losing a loved one, especially in a situation where if another service had been there, she probably would not have been driving, not only affects that individual or their immediate family, but standing at her funeral hall, there was 120 people there. And my number that I kept telling people was like 120 people. Okay, so if I can take 120 people and multiply that by how many people I can keep from being in a car wreck, that's how many lives I can change. So that became my driving factor in Kansas City of consolidating service and providing just more opportunity, more access, especially for older adults and persons with disabilities. That's amazing. So what did you do there? Tell us about the Ride KC Freedom and you helped Robbie get started up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it all started with, um, there's another guy that we got him into by name, Jamison Otten. He's, uh was a big catalyst in all this as well. He's now yeah. deputy CEO there in Kansas, KCATA. Yeah. yeah. 
So, you know, Robbie, James, and I, we uh, started with kind of consolidating services, right? We looked at how there's all these services throughout the Kansas City region, seven counties, countless services, all their own autonomy, none of them really coordinating. And so we started encouraged through funding initiatives and funding efforts, mostly using the 5310 funding as leverage to encourage people saying like, one of the criteria we're gonna judge you on is how you coordinate and effectively work beyond your area. If somebody has to move beyond your autonomous area, what are you gonna to do to help them get there? And that was the first step of cementing that opportunity. And then we kind of looked across and said, you know, we got all these taxi voucher programs in Kansas City. We got this new technology that seems to be working pretty darn well, the cell phone in our pocket. What if we, what if we made it so it was like Uber, but publicly subsidized and we geared it towards the person with disability in the older adult population. And, you know, Robbie actually came up with the idea of putting the cell phone in place. The regional taxi voucher thing, I will say it was me and Jameson, but Robbie was the one saying like, well, why can't I just use my cell phone? And so, you know, we worked with some folks to design the app and we put the tech in the pockets. We built it ourselves. We went and tested it with a test group in Kansas City and, and we pushed it out. And, you know, we had, a, we had a consultant come and analyze it and he goes, you know, there's some holes in this program, but he goes, heck, if you would have hired us to analyze this, you probably would have never got it on the ground. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, so sometimes just marching ahead and getting it done and then iterating as you put it out there and improving it is, is, is the way forward. And yeah. I tell you what, getting that thing out there changed a lot of lives in Kansas City. It really did. It did. And it really, uh, I mean, even, and now it's gone beyond just that, right? Now it's open to anybody who wants to use it. Yeah, it's general public, and it goes beyond Casey Mo. It's in Johnson County. It's in Wyandotte County. So Kansas City, Kansas, all the big cities throughout Overland Park you may have heard of. City of Independence is in it. It's all one continuous zone. So you can kind of go anywhere you need to go, and you just call it up on your app, and it's immediate. It works us through the local taxi company, Kansas City Transportation Group, Z-Trip. So they are the folks who uh, are the provider of the service, and it's, it's been a great relationship. Now, is there a charge to ride that? I know that on the fixed route service, they've made a decision to move forward with no fares during COVID. And I think even afterwards, they're going to try to keep that. What about the specialized service? Uh, as far as I know, is that the specialized service still does have a fare, um, mostly yeah. because being through the taxi base, there has to be some kind of way to, to pay the drivers. That makes um, sense. A majority of the driver's pay actually comes on the back end as they come in and turn in their tickets they get paid cash out and then we pay the, the driver. It's kind of a back-end kind of flow back to the taxi company from the public sector. But um, yeah. This is the kind of innovation we need. Uh, to me, you know, uh, I know that, you know, the whole COVID, post-COVID thing has almost been beaten to death, you know. Right. But I mean, especially in a post-COVID world, uh, micro, the, the rise of microtransit as, yep. as another option. I mean, what, what is your thoughts on that? You know, microtransit, in my mind, um, is, is a great opportunity for agencies, especially looking forward through whatever this, this long-term structure of COVID is and this recovery period, which I think is going to be quite lengthy. Um, it, it's a way to become more nimble, flexible, and agile in the way you provide service. It allows you to really flex your services to make sure if you can't put a fixture out, out there because um, you, well, you have drivers that got sick or you don't have the space in the vehicles. You can, you can use your existing fleet, you can partner with a taxi company, and you can build that divider because we can set thresholds through a microtransit service that say, okay, one rider only, and you can space people out more effectively. And they're also not congregating at stops. They're not congregating on a bus. So it gives the opportunity to kind of break up the spread. So, I mean, it's, it's a response mechanism. It certainly isn't the end all. I'll be the first to say that uh, bus will be king where bus will be. And, you know, I would never want to fight a, a bus that has a great corridor. Right. But there are places where a bus meanders and gets out to the suburbs where it's just not as efficient. Those opportunities then arise where you can really 
put in a transportation solution like Microtransit covers a greater area and provides a more uh, robust last mile solution. I mean, just continuing on this, this train of thought, where do you think we're headed as an industry and as a service? I mean, there have been, you know, terrible articles recently about what they call in the death spiral of transit, you know, about, uh, you know, less money equals cut routes equals less riders equals less money equals, and it's just a downward spiral. Sure, where, sure. Where do you, you know, from your perspective, where are we headed as an industry? No, I, I you know, it's not going to go anywhere. It's not. Transit is such a fabric in the fabric of a community. Um, I think, and I really hope that people paid attention that when the lockdowns were pretty much prevalent throughout the United States, the one people moving the people who needed to get around was transit, right? Those buses still moved. I mean, we had drivers literally on the front lines out there picking people up, taking them to work and providing them opportunities to, to keep putting food on their own tables. So I think transit will always be there. I wonder if transit will become more of a utility structure within cities and counties, but yeah. I always think trans transit and transportation as a whole will definitely be there. I definitely see a rise coming towards public-private partnerships. We've always been on the precipice of trying to figure it out. I think um, COVID and post-COVID is going to force that hand, especially with the financial struggles that are likely to arise later this year into 2021. I mean, the way these cities have been taking hits from the sales tax, what they've lost and the ability to kind of fund their services, uh, you know, this is going to be a two, three-year thing for them to really kind of get through. There's going to be cuts. And, and because of that, there's going to be some unique partnerships and unique opportunities to develop uh, service models that we haven't seen before. I also think it opens the door for Moss. I think there's an opportunity that Moss will finally find its way into North America in a way that it hasn't been here before. That multimodal journey planning aspect that allows people to really move. And, and my hope is, Paul, this is just me being who I want to be, is that I, I hope it becomes more community-based, right? We've always just focused on the movement of people, but let's focus on the connection of the people. And I think that there's a real opportunity to really integrate more with the land use and the businesses that are out there to really create some real robust solutions and probably find some unique funding models for these transit agencies that are going to struggle. Awesome vision, man. I'm with you on it. That sounds awesome. Hey, <laughs> one last uh, thing. We close on something personal. So uh, you speak Spanish and, and what do you do every year? You take a trip to Spain? Yeah, yeah. So um, I met my wife in Kansas City, but she was born and raised in Spain. And so we have family in Madrid and some in a little town called Albacete, which is kind of kind of uh, east of Madrid, but it's, it's about a two hour ride. But, um, you know, we go to Madrid about once a year and we go to the beach house and we spend about a month, two to three weeks in the summer and about two weeks at Christmas. And yeah, you know, it's, it's amazing to see the transportation network that exists in a city like Madrid. It is so robust. Um, it's kind of like my dream vision for what I think most North American cities could be because <laughs> they have their own app. It's their own Moss app and they have their own bicycle system. They got their own trains and the bus and the taxi system integrates into the same app. And you just kind of sit there and you're like, well, I can get anything I want right here. This is so cool. And you can't, I mean, and the food, you can't beat the food. The transit's cool, but the food is even better. I've never visited Spain. I hope to be able to do that. Spain and Italy are on my, uh, my bucket list. Oh, you got to go, Paul. You got to yeah. go, man. And if you do, hit me up. I'll give you all the pointers. There you go. Well, thanks for being with us today. And again, congratulations, Tyler Means. I'm being selected as one of 2020's top 40 people under age 40 who are really making a difference in the transportation industry. Thanks again, Paul. Hey, this is Paul Comfort again, your host. And thank you so much for being with us today on this episode of Comfort's Corner, which is part of the Transit Unplugged podcast family. Uh, it was great to hear from 
really, we had a two-part series, as you know. We heard today from Alice Grossman, Jerome Horm, and Tyler Means, uh, all honorees in the 2020 Mass Transit Magazine's Top 40 Under 40. The last episode included interviews with uh, Misha Wanek-Libman, the editor of the magazine, Marco D'Angelo, and Ivan Rodriguez. And so now you'll be able to hear from some of the younger talent in our industry and where they hope to take us. I've had the opportunity to speak at so many events over the last month or two all over the world, you know, whether it is, uh, you know, speaking for the Association for Commuter Transportation to working with the Southwest Transit Association, CTAA, and lots of other conferences and dropped into numerous staff meetings around the country where I'm talking about seven steps to safety or um, the five big mistakes that most transit systems make. Or now what's hot and topic, a hot topic now is, uh, you know, the 10 top ways to uh, future-proof your transit system. And I just wanted to let you know that I'm available to do that. Trapeze allows me to do these for free of charge, where if uh, transit agencies would like me to come in and be part of your, you know, uh, staff meeting, so many of these staff meetings are still online, where I can just drop in via Zoom or Teams, just let me know. Drop me a note at paul.comfort at trapezegroup.com, uh, and I'll be happy to drop in for a half hour and do a presentation and answer some questions from your staff. Uh, it's a great uh, way for me to get to know you and uh, for me to share with you some of the trends that are happening. One of the other ways I've shared uh, the trends is through the book, The Future of Public Transportation, written by 40 of the world's leading experts on public transportation. They wrote chapters in my number one Amazon best-selling book, The Future of Public Transportation. And it is the topic of a lot of talks that I'm doing these days. That's still on Amazon. And just uh, recently, I published a children's book, which is a corollary to that. And it's called Public Transportation from the Tom Thumb Railroad to Hyperloop and Beyond. And my hope for this book is to really capture and engage the imagination of children while they're young on public transportation. Each page highlights a different type of vehicle that was used in public transportation in the past, in the present, or things that are coming just over the future, like Hyperloop and vertical takeoff and landing vehicles. Beautifully illustrated by my illustrator, Sudeep KP, uh, with fun little facts on each page and stories about the vehicle, short stories. Uh, the pictures captivate the very young children and the information as of interest to the middle schoolers uh, who are reading it. I hope to take a look at it. Uh, it's on Amazon and uh, for the ebook and the paperback are available basically at cost. Get this book into the hands of as many young people as possible. I want to encourage them not only to ride our public transit when appropriate, but also to consider it for a possible future career and to engage them while they're young to start thinking about, hey, you know, maybe I could be a planner that works on, you know, um, flying buses or, you know, or uh, the Hyperloop that's coming or the high-speed rail or, you know, all the neat things, the, you know, the technology that's involved in mobility as a service. We talk about all that and global positioning satellites and just all the cool things that public transit is and will be and is coming. So thank you so much for being with us today on this episode of Transit Unplugged Comfort Corner. Be sure to subscribe on our page, www.transitunplugged.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Take care and stay safe out there.